You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. This is our last sermon in a series of messages on marriage. And what I want to talk about today is I want to focus our time on single people and what it is in our single years that sets us up for married years. And so the first half of the sermon is for you single people. The second half is for you married people. First, let's talk about three marriage killers. The first one is casual dating. And if you brought your date with you this morning, this is going to be a point that you're disappointed in. (laughs) Casual dating is where people are dating and relating and sleeping together. It's like, hey, we're breaking commandments. We're not even sure if we're going to get married, if we're dating. We don't know what we're doing. We're just kind of hanging out. And the Bible talks a lot about relationships, and it talks a lot about the truth of relationships. Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, one of the great love stories in the whole Bible says this in chapter 8. Young women of Jerusalem, promise me never to awaken love before it is ready. You see, there are different seasons. And when you're single, it's not the time. When you're falling in love, it's the time to get to know each other. And when you're married, then you get to live together and sleep together. And the problem is when you're doing things before their time, that's when things get confused. Now, the reason I tell you this is because we're all born into a fallen, broken world. And many of you who are younger, your two primary things as you grow are marriage parenting. You want to get married, but you're scared to because you saw how your parents' marriage was, or you want to have kids, but you're afraid that they may have to grow up like you grew up. So you want to try to figure out a way around this problem. Well, the problem starts with how we begin our dating, relating, cohabitating, casual relationships. And the result is today, due to casual dating, people are waiting longer to marry. For the first time in our nation's history, more adults are single. Though 90% of the population will marry, you're waiting longer. The average man is around 30, the average woman in her late 20s. So in this dating phase, what happens is comparison and competition. That's what casual dating produces. It produces comparison. We'll start there. Like he's tall or short or she's rich or poor or they're fun or they're smart or they're this and they're that. And we are comparing, oh, I like this about them, but but I like this about them. And, And lo and behold, if we get to a point where we have an exclusive relationship, we're disappointed. You know why? Because one person cannot be and do all that the parade of people before them was. And then sometimes we approach this with a consumer mentality. Oh, I wish they were like this person. Like, well, hey, you're not a catch either. (laughs) So it creates comparison. And the Bible says that we're supposed to be committed solely to our spouse. 
We're supposed to be one flesh, husband and wife when we're married. And if you casually date a bunch of people, it's very hard to be satisfied with one and you begin to compare them. It also sets up competition. So we will take free market economics, which is not necessarily bad, but we'll put those onto romantic relationships, which is tragic. So let's say, for example, you're shopping for a car. You go to one dealer and you say, okay, what deal will you give me? And you get the deal terms. You go to the next dealership and you say, okay, well, they were going to throw in a free eight-track player and oil changes. What is your best deal? And if I like it, you get my business. If not, I'll go somewhere else. You go to the third dealership. Okay, here's what the other two dealerships were willing to do. What's your deal for me? That might be a good way to buy a car. It is a bad way to get a spouse. You go to this person. Okay, what are you willing to do? And you're trying to negotiate a great deal. Oh, this is your deal? Okay, well, let me go to my other boyfriend or girlfriend. Okay, these are the deal terms. Can you beat these? Oh, you'll let me not only just sleep with you, but live with you and you'll pay my rent. Hey, if you throw in a free car, I'm yours. (laughs) And a deal is negotiated. And we call that casual dating. If you've ever seen The Bachelor or Bachelorette, that's what it is. That's the result of casual dating. Now this leads to the next step. And it starts with casual dating, but it leads to cohabitation. And this is marriage killer number two. Here's what you need to know. God created, invented marriage. Genesis 2, I want to read you a portion of it. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him, I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So God created marriage. Our country doesn't get that. If you ask the average person, what is marriage? There's really no clear definition of what marriage is because they've lost the whole understanding that God is a relational God. He created marriage. He created the terms and conditions for marriage. And marriage only works when we follow the design of the one who created it and who knows how it's supposed to work. That's why if you will obey God, both of you in the relationship, you'll have practically a 100% chance of success. When you don't obey God, your odds decrease dramatically. Now, here's what the Bible says about intimate relations in marriage. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored, okay? That means to esteem it. That means to respect it. Marriage should be honored by all. That's single people and married people. And the marriage bed, just so you know, 
There is not a boyfriend bed or a girlfriend bed in the Bible. All there is is a marriage bed. And the marriage bed be kept pure. That's the symbol of the sacredness of the covenant of marriage. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This world in its wisdom does not know God. This world in its wisdom does not obey God. This world in its wisdom does not lead to life and flourishing because it's working against God's intended created purpose for relationships. And you can't expect to defile God, to disobey God and have him bless that disobedience. What God says is, here's my marriage plan. So you got to see the covenant consummation of the marriage bed as sacred, as something special in the sight of God. And don't conduct ourselves in such a way that we bring on God's judgment. We conduct ourselves in such a way that he wants to bless us and help us. Now, let me just ask the question, why is it that single people move in together? They think they are taking the half step toward marriage to see whether or not they want to actually be married. The intent is this. We have seen so much devastation, so much pain, so much misery in marriage. We would like to enter marriage, but we're afraid of that big step. So maybe if we move in together, we kind of make a half step toward marriage. We'll see it if it works, kind of like test drive, you know, try before you buy. Statistically, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because what cohabitation is, is practice for divorce, not marriage. In marriage, two people become one. That's the teaching of the Bible. You heard it in Genesis. Jesus reiterates that in Matthew and Mark. And the Apostle Paul expresses this very same thing in Ephesians 5. So you have one last name. You sleep in one bed. You worship one God together. You live one life together Cohabitation is two people like train tracks. You have your life, I have my life. You have your banking account, I have my banking account. You have your religion, I have my religion. And we'll run on train tracks side by side. And if at some point we venture apart, that's okay. I'll go another direction. My life doesn't have to involve you anymore. Covenant is two people becoming one. Cohabitation is where two are two and the results are staggering. Cohabitation is not helpful. Let me give you some statistics. Cohabitation increases your divorce rate significantly. Whereas couples who don't live together and then they get married, stay married far more frequently. In addition... Depression is three times higher for cohabitating couples than it is for married couples. And women are twice as likely to be physically abused in cohabitating relationship rather than in a marriage relationship. And I'll tell you as a dad, when you're single, this looks a lot different than when you're a dad. Let me just speak to the dads here a minute. Now, those of you who are dads, how many of you, when you were single, you might have thought, well, she should move into my house and take care of all my needs, and I'll see if she's fitting for me to marry, and if she doesn't meet up to my expectations, I'll just get her another. I'll just trade her in. 
Single guys are like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. But as a dad, you see it differently. If that was your daughter, is that how you would think? I don't think so. If that's your daughter and a guy comes to you and says, I'm kind of dating and sleeping around and I think I'm willing to let your daughter be one of my potential test drives and she can look after me. If she meets my approval, then I'll let her stay. I might even put a ring on her finger. What do you think, dad? No. (laughs) How about those who practice chastity before marriage? Then they get married. Higher rate of happiness, higher rate of satisfaction, lower rate of conflict, lower rate of divorce. And the third marriage killer is contractual thinking. Contractual thinking leads to casual dating. It's finding a spouse the same way you find a car. You test drive. You see how they compete. You get the deal. It's where people take a business model approach to their spouse and children, and it just decimates a family. So the Bible doesn't see loving, intimate relationships contractually. It sees them covenantally. And you can only get this from the Bible. This is solely in the domain of the God of the Bible. Let me give you two examples of what a covenant marriage is, and then we'll compare and contrast that with a contract way of thinking about relationships. In Malachi 2.14, God is talking to some men who are not loving and being kind and gracious to their wives. And so he rebukes them and says, she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. That's a different kind of relationship, covenant relationship. It says this as well in Proverbs 2, 16 and 17. The father is warning his son about a certain kind of woman who would lead him into uh, dangerous territory. And there are men like this as well. But it says this. Save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward, wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant, there's that word again, that she made before God. He's saying, this is the dad speaking to the son, son, you're growing up, you're going to be entering into the world. There are certain people who are married and they are opposed to the covenant with God. They're supposed to be in covenant with God. They're supposed to be in covenant with one another. And instead they forsake that, they abandon that, and they will do things outside of their marriage to get you to do things that are forbidden outside of the covenant commitment of marriage. So let me begin to explain the difference between a contract and a covenant. Some of you that have problems, it's not a problem necessarily in your marriage, it's of your marriage. You're trying to negotiate deal terms like two people that are adversarial, that are trying to negotiate a trade deal, a business sale. And as a result, you're always fighting and arguing over deal terms. 
So I want to take a step back and look at a big picture and ask, is your relationship with God, is your relationship with your spouse, is your relationship with your kids, is it contractual or is it covenantal? Because if it's contractual, you don't need to just make some adjustments. You need a complete reorientation and re-understanding of your relationships. I'll share it with you. The differences between a contract and a covenant. A contract is between two people. This is what you do in a business deal, right? It's between you and that other person. A covenant includes God. It's why when you get married in a Christian service, it's as a worship because you are making vows in the presence of God and it's not any longer just the two of you, it's us and the Lord. So we're not independent, isolated on our own. In a contract, I seek my own best interest. This is the the sports mindset, the business mindset. You, You find the weakness, you exploit it, you win. Don't do that in marriage You lose because you won. You see, what works great at work doesn't work great at the home. In a contract, I seek my best interests. In a covenant, I seek God's glory, our mutual interests, because we're one. Ultimately, in a contract, the goal is you lose, I win. That's what we're fighting over. We're fighting over who's going to win. In a marriage, it's God is glorified and we both win. This is good for us. It's good for our relationship. It's good for our union and communion. What happens as well? In a contract, you keep a record of performance. You said you would do this. You didn't do this because you didn't uphold your obligation. I'm not obligated to work with you. In a covenant... It says in 1 Corinthians 13, it keeps no, love keeps no record of wrong. Some of you, you're with someone and it feels like every day is a performance review. Well, emotionally, I'll give you a C, spiritually a D, physically a B minus, mentally a a C plus. Maybe you'll do better next time. You're living with someone who's constantly holding you up to a standard that isn't biblical. And unless you meet that standard, there's continuously a record of wrongs. And the result is, I punish you if you fail. You see, in a covenant, it's I forgive you if you fail. And so we worship together and we seek God's best Let me be clear. Is it okay to have a contractual relationship in business? Oh, yes. Is it okay to have a contractual relationship in marriage or parenting? No. Those of you who are very successful in business need to make sure you don't bring that mindset home where you start to see your wife or husband or your children as employees that sign uh, job descriptions and they have to agree to these terms for you to have a relationship with them and love them. So let's talk a little bit more about covenant relationships. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, the Apostle Paul says this, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Covenant thinking 
dominates the Bible. The word covenant appears in the Bible over 290 times, and many times it occurs along with the word the head, the head of the covenant. The head is the person who is responsible for the well-being and the oversight of those who are in the covenant. So we have a covenant relationship with God. I have a covenant relationship with my wife, my family. And so in the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're one. One God and three persons love each other. They're in covenant. God the Father, though, is the head of the covenant. Jesus Christ has the new covenants saving relationship with his people, the church, and he is the head of it. Here's how it works in the family. Husband and wife will love each other, and the husband is the covenant head. Now, any guy who hears that and says, look, I told you the Bible says I'm boss. Number one, you're wrong. Number two, you're mistaken. And number three, you're a fool. (laughs) You've missed the whole point. The husband doesn't think like that. Because Jesus doesn't come to us and say, I'm the boss. He says, I love you. I forgive you. I'm devoted to you. I'll never leave you. The relationship we have is secure. You can count on me. And we say, thank you, Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you don't have a contractual relationship with God through Christ. Aren't you glad you don't? Because every other religion is about people having a contractual relationship with their God. Their God says, well, if you'll go to Mecca, if you will bow down three times a day, if you will reincarnate and pay off your sin somehow, if your good outweighs your bad, maybe in the end there will be something for you, at least not punishment for you. And so you're just basing this on fear. You're trying to live out the terms of the deal. You're trying not to ruin the contract. You're trying not to get burned at the end. Your relationship with Jesus is covenantal. He loves you before you love him. He forgives you before you repent to him. He pursues you before you even desire him. He creates a safe, unbroken union and communion with you. And in the context of that loving relationship, he deals with the issues then so it can change you. That's what a covenant relationship does. Now, let me say this as well. Some of you will still try to do a contractual relationship with God. You're the If then, Lord, people, Lord, if you give me a better girlfriend, I'll stop sleeping with the other one. God's like, no, that's not my deal. I didn't sign off on that one. Well, God, if you'll give me a better job, then I'll tithe 20%. Otherwise, you're getting zero. Lord, it's your choice. Lord, if you will heal them, I will worship you. If you don't heal them, I will curse you. It's your decision, Lord. How many of you have tried to make, negotiate a deal with God? Have you learned that he doesn't negotiate? Some of you are frustrated by him like he doesn't negotiate. 
you know what? That's one of the perks of being God. And what happens is when people get angry or disappointed or frustrated with God because they told him their terms and he's not living up to them, God's like, well, that's the whole problem. This thing that you have written down or written down on the, on the tablets of your heart, it's a bunch of expectations and demands on me that I should submit and agree to your terms. And if I don't, you'll punish me. God says, I'll do contract never. I do covenant forever. That's how God works. How many of you are really glad you have a covenant relationship with God through Christ? But if we have a covenant relationship with Jesus, then we need to have a covenant relationship with our spouse. Again, here's the difference between a contract and a covenant. Issues versus relationship. If you have a contractual view of your relationship with God, your spouse, your family, issues take precedence over any relationship. If you will meet my terms, you can have a relationship with me. If you'll do what I say, then I'll love you. If you'll just obey and agree to my terms, we can get along. But that relationship is always precarious. It's always in jeopardy because the issues are hanging over the relationship. That's contractual thinking. Covenantal thinking is the relationship is more important than the issues. And if that, if that relationship is strong, we can deal with the issues. I've seen couples divorce over things that are not really that big of a deal. And the reason they ended up in such a painful position is because they've decided, I'm going to enforce these terms of the deal, and if you don't get on board, it's done. But I want you to know the relationship is more important. Here's how God works with us. Loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving, devoted, unconditional, unbreakable covenant relationship. And he is loving and safe and kind and gracious. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And then because God is safe, because God is loving, because God is good, what God wants to do is address the issues in our life. And what he's not saying is, you better deal with those issues or our relationship's done. Instead, what he says is, I love you very much. And that issue is harming our intimacy. How about we deal with that issue so that we can be closer and have a better relationship? I'm going to have a relationship with you, God says, no matter what. But I'd rather have a really great relationship. So how about we deal with that issue so our relationship can be better? You get that? That's our relationship with Jesus. And that's what it means to be in a covenant relationship with each other. So for you parents who are leaders of your family, you husbands who are leaders of your wives and children, I want you to understand that it is your responsibility to love and care for them, that is biblical. And it is to your detriment if you don't. Let me give you a case study. First marriage, the book of Genesis. God makes Adam. Adam has a covenant relationship with God, but he doesn't have a covenant relationship with a, another human being. God says, we already saw this, it's not good to be alone. 
I mean, all Adam wants to do is eat fast food. His buttons missing off his shirt. I mean, he's a sad case. And so God says, it's not good for you to be alone. Then the woman is made. She is the one who is to fill the gaps in Adam's life to come alongside, to be his helpmate, to be in a covenant relationship with him. God brings them together. They marry. They consummate their covenant, their husband and wife. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, Satan shows up. Isn't it interesting that Satan doesn't show up until they're married? So the Bible goes from wedding to war in one page. Some single people are like, man, I can't wait till we get married. Then the war is over. No, no. Satan shows up as he always does in marriages. And he declares war. And he goes to Adam and Eve. And what he tries to do is to get them to move from a covenantal relationship with God to a contractual relationship with him. You see, in the covenant relationship with God, God says, I love you. You're my kids. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be present with you. There's just one thing I don't want you to do because it's going to harm our relationship and it's going to ruin your life. And Satan comes along and says to Adam and Eve, how about we renegotiate? I think I can give you a better deal than God. Adam and Eve agree. They violate the covenant with God. And partake of that which is forbidden. Now here's my question. It's not a trick question. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Any Bible people in the room? (laughs) Eve, thank you, one person. Maybe read it for the rest. (laughs) Eve took of the fruit first. And gave it to her husband, which means he was there. What was his response to Eve? Nothing. Did he try to stop her? No. So Adam's sin was a sin of omission. He goes, I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, but did you do everything right? No, I didn't. Okay, well, then that's a sin of omission. Adam doesn't say or do anything, and his wife does the wrong thing. And then she gives some to Adam, who's right there with her. And he doesn't confront her. He doesn't try to stop her. He doesn't say anything to her. There is no communication that could have headed this off, that could have changed the outcome. Instead, their marriage was handed over to Satan. And it's never going to be a great covenantal relationship with him. Now, I'm not saying be mean and angry and harsh, just the opposite. But this issue was hurting them because the enemy was attacking them. And God comes looking for Adam. And that means Adam is held responsible, not solely responsible because God will also talk to Eve. But God, in dealing with both, starts with Adam Adam says, well, let's just review this, God. All was well, and then the woman shows up, and then all was not well. 
And here's the thing, Lord, you made her. <laughs> I'm a victim. You know, I forgive you, but you and her, man, you need to work on her. Here's what a lot of guys think. God, you gave me the wrong woman. Maybe you're just the wrong guy. So Adam, he blames, he blames the woman and he blames God. So God goes to Eve and holds her responsible as well. And who does she blame it on? The devil. Here's what God says. The only way we're going to fix this is with a covenant. And all throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis 3, God is preparing his people. He starts, he starts with a sacrifice of an animal to clothe Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. That sacrifice is ultimately going to be the sacrifice of the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. So starting in Genesis 3, God says, you know what? I'm going to prepare you to send my son, my son, Jesus, because you people don't know how to do covenant, and I'm sending Jesus who's going to take responsibility for you Though it was no fault of his. He's going to pursue you in love. And you're going to hate him and kill him. And he's going to resurrect. Because my son is so committed to the covenant that not even death can prevent him from pursuing a love relationship with you. So you are going to kill him. But he's going to come back. And he's going to hug you. And he is going to put you in a covenant relationship with me and him. And then you will learn how to do covenant relationship with one another. You see, God's people need to think covenantally, not contractually. And this all the way through the home. So in your marriage, this is husband and Wife, making a covenant commitment to each other. Here's how that sounds. Husband and wife saying this. I vow to walk with God through Bible reading, prayer, church involvement. I vow to be a safe, healthy, wise person for you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins and failures. I vow to forgive you of your sins and failures. I vow to be a good friend with you, to grow old with you, to make memories and have fun, and I believe you are God's best for me. You'd be surprised at how many couples would long to hear and experience that in their marriages from their spouses. And it would literally make all the difference in the world. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.